And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hope you guys had a good uh, weekend. Hopefully all you dads out there had a great Father's Day. Drank a bunch of beer and watched baseball and ate steak and all that good stuff. I don't have any kids, but uh, I did eat a bunch of good food and drink beer. So yeah, great episode today. Fantastic episode today. We had Tyler Grant. Uh, who's a writer over at the Weekly Standard, uh, the Washington Examiner, National Review, uh, among other places. Really, really smart guy. Um, really, really smart guy. He's also an attorney and was a Fulbright Fellow uh, to Taiwan. Uh, very, very knowledgeable uh, in terms of China and, and Asian policy in general. Uh, very knowledgeable about the North Korean situation. So we talked a lot of foreign policy. We talked about the Inspector General's report that came out last Thursday. We talked about Jimmy Kimmel losing a basketball game to Senator Ted Cruz. So uh, kind of all over the place today, but it was a really good chat. Uh, everybody follow Tyler on Twitter and follow his writing. Uh, he's a really good guy, and we'll definitely have him back on soon. Uh, before we get to Tyler, I want to say hi to our sponsors over at Premier Vapor. Um, if you smoke or uh, and want to quit smoking, or if you are a vape enthusiast already, uh, Premier Vapor is the company you got to go to. They have the largest selection of premium e-liquid anywhere in the country. It is all FDA compliant, really delicious stuff. Any kind of battery, uh, mod, coil, tank, anything you need, go to premiervaporandlounge.com. Free shipping on all orders over 35 bucks. That is premiervaporandlounge.com. If you're in Northwest Ohio or you're traveling through the area, they also have physical locations in Perrysburg and Holland, Ohio. Check them out. Once again, premiervaporandlounge.com. Free shipping on all orders over 35 bucks. And uh, please follow us on Twitter at NoGimmicksPod. Um, if you haven't already, please subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud. If you're on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating and a good review. We'd really appreciate that. And uh, this show will always be free. The content will always be free every Monday and Wednesday afternoon. But if you like the show and you want to get involved, you can support us monthly on Patreon. And there's really cool uh, incentives for you to do that. Uh, check us out, patreon.com slash the No Gimmicks Podcast. All right. Without further ado, here's my chat with Tyler Grant. All right, guys, we're here with Tyler Grant. You can find Tyler's writings over at the Weekly Standard, National Review Online, and The Hill. Um, Tyler, thanks so much for taking the time, brother. Yeah, appreciate coming on. Absolutely. So we got a lot of uh, important stuff to talk about today, recapping the next or the last several days in the news. Um, but first of all, let's talk a little bit about uh, this charity basketball game between Jimmy Kimmel and Ted Cruz. I personally love it anytime Jimmy Kimmel um, is publicly humiliated. Uh, he's probably my least favorite political figure in the country right now. Um, so, yeah, I, it was, I actually kind of missed the beginning of this story. Um, Kimmel was, like, talking shit to Ted Cruz when he posted a picture at a Houston Rockets game, I believe, and Cruz challenged him to a basketball game, and they, uh, you know, promised, I think, ten grand each to charity for, you know, to the winner's charity. Uh, 
And it happened, and Ted Cruz beat him. Um, how beautiful was this? You know, it's so I also came to the story a little late and saw, you know, the blobfish thing. And then, you know, yeah, that, that's it, the part I missed. I, I don't understand that. It's a funny word. Um, but what, what does that mean? Yeah, I think <laughs> uh, I think the implication was that, you know, one of the ugliest fish apparently in the ocean is a blobfish. And so, you know, people love to dunk on Ted Cruz. And fortunately for Ted Cruz, he played some varsity basketball, apparently, and he was able to dunk on on Kimmel, which is hilarious. It's fantastic stuff. I think you believe him beat him eleven to nine. Um, very embarrassing. He can't be over like five foot nine, Ted Cruz. No, no. Probably north. But, of I mean, some of, the, some of his uh, the videos, man. I mean, he was jo- he was dropping uh, jumping threes. So you know, you know, good for him being you know 47, 48 or something, and he can shoot some jump three pointers. I think if someone asked me, you know, you'll lose your first shot. Child, if you can't make more than like one three out of a hundred, I I would be very terrified. <laughs> so oh, man. good for him, you know. Yeah, good good for him. And anytime Jimmy Kimmel puts one in the L column, I think that's a, a good day for America. But I, I got to thinking, I'm like, man, I don't think I'm a pretty decent basketball player for a five eleven white guy. Um, but I don't think there's a senator. I do not think there's a United States senator that could beat me in a basketball game. And I'm not. I mean, I'm not that great at basketball. But I'm like. I mean, I don't know. Like, Marco Rubio was a former amateur boxer. You know, he's probably pretty athletic. Tim Scott's black, so that gives him some points. That is clearly a stereotype that is true. Typically, black folks are better at basketball. But still, I, I don't know. I think I could take down Tim Scott. But I don't know. It's it's very embarrassing to lose an athletic event of any kind, other than, uh, gol- other than golf. I say give them. They're probably all pretty good at golf. But other than that, it's pretty, pretty embarrassed to go down to a senator. I mean, 100%. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to go to the... Uh, congressional baseball game but it is been, a, i haven't been there but i've watched it a couple times it is hysterical the past oh, yeah. two years watching the republicans all these old white guys try, you know trot out there and have these guys i think you know the la- last year when i went there was this kind of like he was a congressman from louisiana and he dealt for seven in- or six innings and i think that there might have been one hit Oh right, right. The Democrat. Yeah. What's his? Uh, uh, what's that gentleman's name? Um, yeah. He actually. I think he played uh, college baseball. I think he went to college on a baseball scholarship. He was. He was dealing. He was throwing like eighty-one, oh, eighty-two yeah. miles an hour, and that's pretty damn good for a fifty-year-old. <laughs> yeah, I mean, throwing throwing cutters, you know, to congressmen has got to be thrill of a lot lifetime it was just sad <laughs> but it's <laughs> yeah, good to, you know watching, it's glad that Scalise was able to go back out there so that was cool so. right yeah it's always entertaining watching you know like kevin brady and these guys like trying to hit a baseball and it's it's pretty painful painful to watch oh, yeah. sometimes <laughs> yeah absolutely but so but moving, hey, no, moving on to real news i appreciate the oh yeah go I'm ahead sorry. no go ahead no i was gonna say I, what i do like though you know in an age where politics is just so i mean just very very aggressive very very relentless i do appreciate you know people like hollywood and you know dc coming together to do something fun that actually benefited charity i mean i think we'd just be i think we'd be way better off as a country if we had people hey you know why don't you come out to this event we're going to try to have some sort of like charity function to it and i thought i you know kudos to uh cruz and and kimmel for making that happen it's just like kind of a nice feel-good event 
Yeah, and they raised a bunch of money, too. I think one of the charities was, like, Texas Children's Hospital, and then I, I figure what the other one was. But they raised, like, tens of thousands of dollars for both of these charities. So at the end of the day, it is, it's definitely a good thing and, you know, something we should see a lot more of. Uh, not that we will, more than likely, but, yeah, definitely, definitely a good thing. And on to the, the real news. The biggest piece of news um, this, this dropped on Thursday was the Investigator General's report finally came out. Yep. And, uh, man, there's, there were some doozies in there. <laughs> there. There were some doozies in there. Obviously, the the big revelation that everybody's talking about was the text exchange between uh, the two FBI agents, uh, Lisa Page and Peter Strzok, where, where Page said something along the lines of, you know, there's no way Trump will be elected president, right? And, and Peter Strzok responds, no, we'll stop it. We, right. you know, meaning the FBI, presumably. Um, so... Your thoughts, your initial reaction. I, you know, I, I read the whole thing. I'm sure you did as well. And, um, and, and there's a ton of a ton of bombshells in there, but this one kind of the most egregious. Yeah. So my my personal take is it's certainly a big blow to Comey. It's a big blow to the credibility of the FBI. It it's it lends a lot of credence to people that say there is a deep state function that's happening. And, you know, uh, as much as I like to kind of push back on that to say, hey, you know, that's that's a little ridiculous. It does speak to this administrative state uh, and certainly uh, the FBI, where there is the, this high level play that we know better than the, you know, than Americans. We know better than what people, you know, on the ground really want. And it seems as though from my personal takeaway that, you know, Comey looks really bad. The FBI looks really bad. Lynch looks really bad and either Lynch or Comey have to one or the other is you know a liar about a lot of what what has transpired and then it you know the ultimate irony you know I think I took away and I think you might have as well is that you have this exchange between Peter Strzok and Page and it basically comes down to the fact that had they actually done their job when they had done when they were asked to do their job the outcome probably would have been different but right. because they said hey you know what we're going to do do, I'm just going to sit on this second batch of emails that, that was on the uh, uh, Anthony Weiner laptop. He said they sat on it, and, and Comey coming back and saying, "Hey, I'm in." And you know, I said this back on on Twitter back when it happened in 2016 that you know Comey was in an impossible position. He either says, "I have to you know come out and say this now," and you know people are going to hit me for possibly throwing the election, or I wait till after the election and say. And it, and then it looks like I, you know, obscured the truth to push, you know, for Hillary Clinton. And so the, the ultimate irony is that had these guys done their job, done the emails, there probably there would have been at least three weeks of campaigning left, of which you know they had basically absolved Hillary Clinton of any wrongdoing, and then they could have gone back to hitting Trump. But instead, they waited to the last minute, and it came to be a last minute bombshell. Right, and and the timing by Comey was. You know, like you alluded to, him kind of just covering his ass, you know, politically. And uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> you're right that it is ironic that that could have been the straw that broke the camel's back that actually got Donald Trump elected. Um, but I, I just think, look, I think the reputation of the FBI due to the leadership of Comey and all these new revelations in the IG report, I, I think the FBI's reputation has been irreparably damaged. I, I don't see the American people trusting. Well, I mean, I'm a. I lean pretty libertarian. I don't really trust any um, form of government as far as I can throw them. Um, <laughs> but but uh, for, for yeah. those Americans that did still trust these institutions, 
Yeah, I don't see the American people trusting the FBI anytime soon, and that might be warranted. I, you know, it's it's one of those things that I know it's a tough like. I, I, yeah, I know, it, I'm not I'm not you know condemning the entire FBI. I'm sure there's there's tens of thousands of FBI agents all over the country that are doing good work. But uh, when you see this kind of corruption from the top, uh, man, it's going to leave a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. You know. I'm kind of a new DC person and just going around talking to different people. And one of the things that comes out sometimes, and it is particularly troubling for me, is when you run into people that are government bureaucrats and you have long conversations with them. And it just becomes very clear that the game is not so much about helping people or moving the ball forward or saying, hey, maybe maybe this is not where government should fill. Like, this is not the space for government to fill. But instead, let's let, you know, the states handle this or let... Uh, you know, private enterprise handle it. Uh, and they, they just, they get excited about like holding on to this power that they have. And I worry that a lot of it, especially in the FBI, when you have these big time players with a massive stick, that is the criminal justice system, that they feel as though they can drive political outcomes in this country. And so we saw in this election where we had two people that had, you know, very serious moral problems uh, going head to head. And we had an FBI feeling that they could call balls and strikes. And that's that's a big problem. And hopefully, I mean, there's serious there seriously needs to be a, a cleaning of house to be done. And hopefully Christopher Ray can do that. But the guy is certainly behind the eight ball beginning his job. But. Right. I don't and know. I don't know what, what a horrible takeaways how you could even fix that. Yeah, right. And what a horrible situation to step into if you're Christopher Ray, the the new FBI director. But you I mean you said that, you know, in your private conversations with these bureaucrats, um, you see this kind of lust for power, but that was kind of laid bare in this IG report because uh even in the the documents turned over to Congress, you know, these texts between uh Page and Strzok, uh the the real damning texts anyway were redacted. <laughs> they were redacted for no reason. I mean, they could say for, like, national security, but that doesn't make any sense. So they just didn't okay. want to look bad. And that is that is just evil because Congress has oversight. Congress created the DOJ and the FBI and has oversight over the DOJ and FBI. And and these, these people think that they can push Congress around. You know, I, I mean, I don't trust Congress either. I don't think anybody does. I think like the the general approval rating for Congress is something like twenty percent. It's usually hovering around twenty percent. But at least these people, we can vote out of office. You know, and they're supposed to. Be, I mean, they are the DOJ's boss. You know, they have oversight over the DOJ. And if the DOJ is withholding information from Congress, I mean that that is what people talk about when they when they talk about the deep state. Oh yeah, ab- absolutely. And and you know, a lot of what people. When they talk about being frustrated with with Congress, you know, really what they're frustrated with is trying to, you know, dig out these deep career bureaucrats that have been in office or that have been, you know, not in office, but have have held the position for decades and trying to get them to stop doing whatever it is they're doing. It's, it's, It's almost an impossible feat because you're trying to get people that have carved out their little space to say, hey, like, is your space really necessary anymore? Probably not. Let's let's move it out. And knowing, and but meanwhile, you have these bureaucrats that know all we have to do is just wait you out, and we can wait you out through all of these necessary 
hurdles that you have to jump to get something done in the administrative state. And these guys will get voted out or if the political winds change and then it keeps going. New people get hired on and suddenly we've got 35 undersecretaries for this job where we didn't even need the first guy in the first place. It's right. a it's a it's a deep problem. Right. Right. And so the conclusion of the IG's report um, was <laughs> they laid out that there was clear proof of bias within the FBI. Uh, Trey Gowdy, Congressman Trey Gowdy, for instance, said, quote, this is the highest level of bias I've ever seen from a member of law enforcement, which is uh, which is probably true. But so the, the investigator general concludes that basically, although there was extreme bias in the FBI, there's no proof of bias in the FBI. Right? You know, right. it's, it's it's similar to James Comey's statements about Hillary Clinton that she broke the law. There's proof she broke the law. She should be indicted, but we're not going to indict her. So now it's like, okay, here's all these text messages proving uh, bias within the FBI, but there's no proof of bias within the FBI. It's like, I, I, I'm getting a little tired. I mean, this is, I'm not a, I hate the term deep state. I hate complaining about the deep state. I'm not that guy, but Okay, so even if you find bias, proof of bias, they still refuse to do anything about it. And I, I, it's so frustrating. I'm sure it's frustrating to the majority of Americans. I mean, if you can prove wrongdoing in these investigations and then still nobody loses their jobs, nobody goes to jail, nothing changes, what the hell's the point? I mean, wh- where is this heading? It doesn't seem like anything's really going to change anytime soon. I mean, that was my takeaway, too, when at the end of that, you know, hearing the outcome of the report, I thought the exact same thing as you did. That's exactly what Comey said about Hillary Clinton. Hey, you know, there's a lot of bias. There was a lot of weird stuff with these emails. You know, it was, what, what was it, like criminally negligent or whatever he said, which was conceding the fact that it was criminal. Right. And yet, you know, nothing happens. Now we're not going to do anything. And it, it just speaks to this element of, of privilege, of interconnectedness of all these people at the top brass that, you know, frankly, the average American looks at that with extreme disgust. Uh, and, you know, looking at this now, now, seeing that none of these people have lost their jobs, I mean, it's incredible. I had a guy, I had a conversation with a guy the other day that was working in the DOJ tax division, and they have been trying to, that they have been trying to fire somebody for six months now for, uh, like, sexual harassment, basically. And they, they just keep moving the guy to different, you know, departments in the building because they just can't, like the procedures involved with firing somebody from government are so egregious and take so long that it's better just to move them around rather than like outright fire them because everybody gets their government due process. It's great. It's absolutely crazy. Yeah, it, it's, it is incredible. And I think it goes back to what we were talking about a, a couple minutes ago about just the American people's faith in these institutions. And mm-hmm. I, I, I have no reason to trust the FBI anymore, at least in the foreseeable future, until they do start to make these changes. And uh, all right, let's let's switch to some foreign policy. Um, let's okay. talk some let's talk some North Korea. Uh, so Tyler, you were a Fulbright fellow to Taiwan. Um, you've you've studied China quite a bit, uh, so you're a lot more familiar with just the region as a whole than than I mm-hmm. am and, and and most of the listeners. Um, so let's just go back to to last week, or yeah, I suppose uh, last Tuesday. Um, mm-hmm. which was President Trump's uh, summit in Singapore with Kim Jong-un. Um, let's get your, just your overall thoughts on the summit, and then we can kind of move into China and their role in the whole deal, uh, which sure. is very interesting. But I, I kind of parted with a lot of conservatives 
on the summit. I'm not like a, a huge Trump guy. I, I did vote for President Trump um, somewhat reluctantly, but and then I have been very pleased with most of the stuff he's done. I think he's done a, a pretty damn good job as president this last year and a half um, with, with some exceptions. But, you know, so I'm not like a blind Trump witness who will just <laughs> defend him no matter what. Obviously, the, seeing the American flag next to the North Korean flag and all the, the talking nice to Kim Jong-un made me a little uncomfortable. But I, I parted with a lot of conservatives, and I, I didn't really condemn this because I'm like, I don't know. Like, preventing nuclear war, to me, is the most important thing um, a president can do. Uh, and if we're going to have to negotiate with really, really bad guys, I'm fine with that. And I, I didn't condemn President Obama for going to Cuba, to be honest. And I didn't condemn President Obama for trying to make a deal with Iran. I condemned the Iran deal because it was a bad deal. But when he said, hey, we're going to negotiate with Iran, try to get rid of these nukes, I'm like, oh, good. I mean, give me a deal over a war um, any day. But obviously it didn't turn out the way we wanted. But um, So I, I don't really have that much of a problem with what happened in Singapore. I, what was your basic reaction to it? So I had, you know, I wrote an article for the Washington Examiner of what the four goals for the North Korea summit should be. And the goals that I laid out is that we need a agreement for a yearly summit. Because I think one of the major things that we just don't have with North Koreans that we have with a lot of other countries is constant communication. And I always think that communication is a good idea. You have a lot of Democrats that push back and said, you know, this, this is a problem of giving legitimacy to a horrendous dictator. Agreed. Fair point. But at the same time, not having dialogue and letting something be such a black box and unpredictable person rather than somebody that we can pick up the phone and talk to is, is more of a problem than having constant communication. So that I thought was a good thing. That's a success. If we keep that communication open, that's a success. The right. one problem that I do have with, with the way that Trump does all of, all of these things is the way in which he feels the need to constantly overly praise people for different things. And so, like, a lot of the optics, I thought, were poor when it came to our our behavior and uh, at the summit. You know, number one, the, the saluting video looks bad, where... You know, Donald Trump is going down the road, road shaking hands. Looks, looks, bad. Right. looks looks really bad. It's going to be something that they use as a propaganda video for decades. You know, as, as long as Kim Jong Un is in office, it, they will use that propaganda video to show that we recognize the legitimacy of the North Korean military. Okay. Right. The second thing is a lot of his his praise for Kim Jong Un on 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 the different media outlets. On Twitter, I thought was a little strange. The problem, one of the problems that I think he had going to the summit is that while Trump has done a pretty good job of limiting how many people, they, I mean, there, there's been big hiring freezes or just leaving a lot of jobs vacant because Trump is anti-administrative state. That's a good thing. But sometimes it has a problem when you need preparation for a summit like this of this magnitude. Someone would have said to him, be on the lookout for this. They will purposefully do this to try to get you to salute this person. And if you're not prepared, kind of in an offhand way, you're going to do it and you're going to give them a, a very easy win. So, you know, as far as preparations concerned, some sometimes there are these lapses that I think that we lose on. I think that this is an ongoing conversation. I think 
you know, was it a win as far as getting them to denuclearize? Probably not. I, I doubt. I doubt anything major happens, and it won't have the effect of law or force until we take a more demonstrated action against the North Koreans with, you know, some sort of deal with sanctions, goods, and inspectors of which we can actually see, or else we're going to fall into the same Obama bro Iran policy that we did in the past. On As far as communication goes, I think it was a huge win. I mean, I, I like you, I definitely didn't have a problem with Obama talking to Cuba because communication prevents nuclear war, and that's a fact. Right. So right. overall, yeah. overall, I'd say it's a win. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I definitely agree. And, and your point with uh, the lack of preparation, you're absolutely right. I think Secretary of State Pompeo and then uh, John Bolton, the national security advisor, are definitely the right guys to surround Trump during these, these summits. But you're right. It takes a lot more than two guys to put together the, the, necessarily, the necessary preparation for, for something this big. Um, you really have to have all your bases covered. And, and you're right. I, I think the North Koreans are probably more prepared than than we were walking in here but um mm-hmm. yeah I, I don't think it was as damaging as a lot of a lot of people thought I, the, the propaganda you're right they trump gave them some propaganda ammo that they're going to use forever and ever you know all the the praising of, of of kim obviously saluting that general but at the end of the day i don't really care about uh, north korean propaganda too much i don't really care what they run on state-run tv i you know I don't know. I Trump saying that you know Kim is no threat anymore. You know, there's no nuclear threat anymore is obviously ridiculous. Um, we're on we're on the top of the first inning on on these negotiations. The the real negotiations haven't even started yet, right? And uh, so could it lead to denuclearization? Maybe. I mean, I, I don't know why Kim Jong Un would denuclearize. I mean, it, I mean his nukes are what brought him to the table. So I don't really know. Um, what they would gain other than economically they, they could make gains, but uh, why they would actually give up their nuclear program. I, I, I mean, do you think if you had to put a percentage on it, what, what is, what chance do we have in the next say five years of Kim actually opening up North Korea to inspections, regular inspections by the United States and the United Nations and actually giving up all of their nuclear warheads. I mean, 10%, 15%. I would say, I would give it, I'd be a little bit more optimistic than that. I would say probably 35%. You know, I think it's, it's one of those things that North Korea plays this little shell game between us and China and and maybe a little, and maybe a little bit of Russia. And a lot of, a lot of things that I see on TV, a lot of people that write about this stuff is really high level. They like to play this game where they think, oh, the, the North Koreans and China are their buddies and they kind of play against us and it's them against us and we're on the South Korean side and it, there's still kind of this Korean war mentality. And that's just, that's just frankly not true. The South Koreans are rightly suspicious of the North Koreans. The Chinese are very suspicious of the North Koreans as they are of us. And the game that they play is when we level sanctions against the North Koreans, then the North Koreans cross and make good with the Chinese with uh, an emergingly powerful Xi Jinping. When that relationship sours for whatever reason with Xi wanting to level a little bit more power or leverage in Pyongyang or Pyongyang, you know, they come to us with, hey, you know, we want to have a deal or 
we promise we'll denuclearize. And, and you can see this this cycle play out over the past couple of decades. And you know, obviously, you know, Kim Jong-un is a, a new player to this cycle, but he seems to be following his, his papa bear with the way that he operates in the region. The biggest gain that I think we could have is by discussing with China, North Korea, and South Korea some sort of multilateral deal that brings the North Koreans in, into modernity, whether that's through some sort of like relinquishing a little bit of power over their economy, opening the border in some way. The other proposals that I had in my article is that the United States 100% needs a embassy in Pyongyang. We had a student from UVA, you know, I'm sure you saw Otto Warmbier, that was held over there. And we had to negotiate through a third party country to negotiate whether or not he was even alive. I mean, that's that's crazy in 2018 that we can't pick up the phone, call the North Koreans or call our embassy in North Korea and say, what's happened to our guy? We need that kind of relationship. We need that constant communication. I think that 35 percent is not so optimistic in light of how willing Kim Jong-un was to a summit and how quickly it happened. Even even if they had been in the works from day one of the Trump administration trying to make this happen, the fact that they put something together by the you know late spring of 2018 within the first two years of him being in office is, is more aggressive than even Nixon and China. I mean, that is, it, it speaks to the unique way that Trump engages in foreign policy, while at the same time speaking to the fact that the North Koreans are ready to have some sort of dialogue and engagement with the broader international community and perhaps put to rest this crazy unpredictability that they've had for decades. Right. And so to my understanding, I mean, the summit never would have happened if China wasn't at least partially playing ball with us and and holding up their end of the bargain in terms of, of sanctions against North Korea. Um, it seems almost like China, as as powerful as as a, how do you pronounce the the president of China, the dictator of China's name? Xi Jinping. Xi Jinping. Xi Jinping. Um, who who yep. uh, you know just made himself president for life essentially. Um, he kind of wants to be the next Mao. I, I, it's almost like he sees North Korea as you know a liability at this point, and uh, so maybe, and people do need to understand that. China is essential in these these talks. Unless China is on the same page with us, at least partially, I don't think anything good long-term is going to happen because they can always loosen sanctions on Pyongyang whenever they want. So I, I think, what do you think? You're, you're, you're the China expert. Do you think they are playing ball? Do you think we can trust China to, um, to b- kind of back us up regarding Kim? Or is that, you know, too optimistic? No, so I think... You know, in some of my, my conversations that I've had with, with, with people in D.C. that do State Department and do some of these other, you know, high-level foreign policy stuff, one, one thing that I've thought of is the deal would have to be something what, – what China does not want is a you know, 40,000 American troops in South Korea or a unified Korean peninsula. Both of those are losses for China. North Korea, at the same time, wants to navigate – a strength in China on its border, while at the same time perhaps unifying with South Korea with a reduced American presence in Asia, Southeast Asia. The, Kore- the South Koreans, it, it's kind of unclear what their goals are. I think they kind of want to just make nice for the time being. They also fear 
a growing Chinese influence, while at the same time a unpredictable North Korean threat. And the United States obviously has the goals of maintaining a presence in the Pacific, while at the same time reducing how belligerent it is in the region because of the North Koreans, and they need to police the Chinese control. So I think some deal that would work would be a reduced American presence on the South Korean peninsula, an American embassy in North Korea, reduced sanctions across the Chinese-North Korean border in exchange for American and Atomic Energy Institute, or the, like AIO, whatever it's called, the one right, that inspects right. uh, nuclear, having those kind of joint multilateral inspections of North Korean facilities, and then with some sort of deal where we get something, meaning maybe we, we deal so that we can protect Taiwan, where we can say, China, you're going to give up Taiwan, we'll give up some troops in exchange for these other deals. So it'd be this complicated multilateral deal where everyone gets a little bit of what they want. I think that there's a deal that, that, could, be ha- that could happen where everyone would benefit in a small way and then the region would benefit as a whole, if that makes sense. I, I know that that's like a lot of moving parts that I just... Right. No, that absolutely. I think there's there's something there. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. It would, man, a lot of dominoes have to fall. (laughs) A lot lot of things have to go right. Um, Would China give up Taiwan? I mean, is that that something that, well, for, for the listeners that aren't, you know, aware of that situation, just briefly explain the history there. And um, is that something that could even be feasible? Right. So we have this policy when it comes to Taiwan, when it comes to Taiwan that we established decades ago that basically says that we recognize that there is one China and that Taiwan is a part of China. We have diplomatically wink wink to that while at the same time that we hold a embassy in Taiwan that we call the American Institute of Taiwan. So we have this funny relationship with Taiwan. Like, I know you know this, I'm just explaining, but the, uh, and so it's one of those things that when you visit, when you visit Taiwan, when you visit China, you have these hardliners in China that say, oh, of course, you know, Taiwan is this rogue nation and we, we are, we, we maintain control over there. We maintain like soft power control over them while maybe not maintaining hard control over them. And then you have more pragmatic Chinese that say, oh, yeah, that's that's kind of like a like a free economic zone similar to like Hong Kong and other places. And it's not really a part of China. And they recognize the pragmatism of that. In Taiwan, you have this growing sense of, of independence where they they say and know that, of course, China is never going to annex Taiwan. There's never going to be a war there. They're never going to, you know do some sort of ground assault on Taiwan because we have a relationship with Taiwan that says we'll go to bat for Taiwan should that ever happen. So there, there's kind of this standstill there. I think that China would willingly give that up with some sort of deal that made them feel safer in the region as long as they're able to save face and kind of cover it in some other way. And that's mainly how the, the Chinese can, can cover on that. The fact that Xi Jinping has created this world in which he controls all information that comes in and out of China, they could easily do that and manipulate the situation with any level of propaganda anyways. Because, as it, I mean, as it stands, all the Chinese have created these multi or have created these relationships where they're able to 
go to Taiwan and go back. And, and, and it created this, this relationship that's more than just as if one is subjugated to the other. Like there is this recognition of sovereignty now with visas and other pro- programs that recognize we, we are different countries. And I think that they wouldn't have made those steps had they been in hopes that they wouldn't be able to annex China or annex Taiwan. Gotcha. Yeah, that, that's very interesting, man. That makes sense. Um, one more question uh, regarding North Korea. I have to assume at some point over the next you know year or so during these these uh, these negotiations that Shinzo Abe and Vladimir Putin are going to want to seat at the table as well because they do both share a border. Uh, either you know land or sea with North Korea, um, do you think that might complicate these talks? I, I I mean I guess you have to concede that Japan and Russia deserve um, to be a part of these um, negotiations as well as South Korea and China. Um, do you think the Russian or Japanese influence would complicate any of this? I think the Japanese know. I think they view us as their proxy vote, where we have. The- same we have the same interests right and i get the i get the sense that the japanese have relegated themselves to be sort of a backbencher in the foreign policy of the, the pacific because they know that our in, their interests are basically the same as that of taiwan which is basically the same as that of ours right and so they've said here you know america handle this crap and we will you know we'll jump in the table to you know sign a document if we need to but i, I don't see major hold up there as far as russia is concerned i think russia's interests are virtually the same as the chinese and as the other you know big swing in at the table i think us playing against the chinese will they kind of have their tag team with the russians it could be a problem i think though that they would not have as much bargaining power since the outcomes for China, North Korea, us, and South Korea would be so beneficial that it would be tough for them to come into the table with any sort of significant problem of which we would have to negotiate, uh, negotiate out of like, you know, some sort of problem where we'd give up something in Crimea or the Ukraine in exchange for something in the Pacific. I, I doubt that we would be willing to do that or that they would even lob that on the table without being punished economically by us in some way. Right. So I, I don't view them as having enough clout to do that. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I get the sense, too, that Russia has bigger problems economically. Um, I mean, they like to pretend that they're one of like the big three economies on Earth. And that's just not true. Their economy is smaller than the state of Texas. Um, so it's I mean, if, if North Korea was opened up and Russia could trade a little bit more with them, I mean, that would help the Russian economy as well. And it, like you said, I completely agree that I don't really think they have the clout to to make a make a difference. But this is very they virtually, they virtually has they virtually have like one resource, like right. natural gas and maybe like timber. I mean, vodka. Well, well, what are they? Yeah. What are they going to do? We, we've we've uncovered you know, 10 times the, their reserves in Alaska alone. Like we, we, we would trump them. It wouldn't even be close. Right. Yeah. Uh, their, their economy is not the, the Soviet economy. And I mean, the Soviet economy economy in the 60s and 70s were kind of overblown, like they were never as strong economically as they claimed to be. But even compared to the Soviet economy, the the current Russian economy is just nothing, nothing close to what to what they used to be. But uh, absolutely. All right, man, we're out of time. I really appreciate yeah. the talk, and we we really got to bring you back on soon, man. I could talk about this stuff all day. Um, but uh, you're a busy guy. You're a lawyer, and you got to go. Uh, 
I got to get back to work. But before I let you go, um, where can everybody find you online, Twitter, all that stuff? Where, where can everybody read your writing? Yeah, so I've got, you know, kind of all over the place. Got some stuff at the Weekly Standard. Okay. Got some stuff at the Washington Examiner, National Review, on Twitter at the underscore Tyler underscore Grant. So look me up. Appreciate it, man. Everybody, I really enjoyed it. Absolutely, man. We'll, we'll definitely have you back. Everybody follow Tyler. Uh, he's a good dude. Support his work. And we will be back on Wednesday. No gimmicks. Oh.